As we come now before the Word of God, would you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Hosea in chapter 3. That's Hosea chapter 3. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Our Lord, we've, we've just sung and now we pray that you would breathe on us, that is, uh, breathe your spirit into us, waken our minds and hearts to these things that we would love as you love and do as you do. Help us now in this time to listen, to love these things, and to keep them because they are your word. Guide us in this now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take this morning an entire chapter, uh, but if you're looking in your Bible, uh, boy, it's a, it's a little one. It's just uh, five verses here, uh, chapter 3 is, so we'll take up this entire chapter. This is Hosea in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and an omer and a lekha of barley, and I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. This is the word of God. Now, we're on the cusp here of a new section in the book of Hosea. That is, beginning in chapter 4, which, Lord willing, uh, we'll take up next week. Beginning in chapter 4, what we start to read there and throughout the rest of Hosea will begin to sound a lot more like classic Old Testament prophecy. You know, the, the, the really good stuff where we hear the, the judgments of the Lord. So there's uh, things that we'll have to buckle up for there once we get there. Today, however, is a little different than that. This is very different. Chapter 3 is the final words of Hosea as a living parable. So if you've been here with us, you know by now that Hosea has been called by God as a prophet to marry a woman whom God calls a wife of whoredom. So Hosea takes this woman, Gomer, as his bride. She's adulterous. She chases after all sorts of other lovers. It's all kinds of mess. And instead of a divorce from her, the Lord tells Hosea to stay with her. In fact, to pursue her here, to go again to her. 
So the relationship between the prophet Hosea and his wife Gomer are a living parable that are to show the relationship between faithful God and unfaithful Israel. So we've been circling around this for for three chapters, kind of following uh, similar sorts of things for a few weeks. But today, I really want to focus our attention on one major part of this, which is that we unpack here the theme of love. Of love. You might have noticed when we uh, first started reading, just in the first verse here, the word love shows up four times. And in that first verse of the four times of love, not all of those loves are described as, as good. You know, one of the loves is the other men who love Hosea's wife. Uh, there's also um, a description of the wife who loves raisin cakes. That stand out to anybody? Okay, I, you know, it sounds, that sounds yummy. It sounds like something I might love too. This is not just a reference to dessert that's second best to, you know, chocolate chip cakes. Uh, this is probably some sort of pagan worship ritual, a form of offering here that she, she has come to love. So not all loves are good. We're not concerned with, with those sorts of things today. Today, our big question, what we really want to know is this. What is good love like? What is good love like? And one of my favorite uh, relatively modern authors, he's been dead now for uh, some time, but A.W. Tozer Uh, wrote a bit about this in a classic book called The Knowledge of the Holy, which I commend to you. It's short, it's readable, uh, and deep and rich. And in The Knowledge of the Holy, he's unpacking the various characteristics of God, and, and when Tozer comes to the chapter on the love of God, Tozer says that his own attempts to do justice to God's love are like a child trying to take hold of a star. That's how he describes it. You know, that a child might reach, it can't, can't, can't touch it quite, can't, can't, can't grab onto it or hold it, can't even see all of it. But even, even then, we could still call attention to it. Or we could still point in the right direction of it. We still might look at it with wonder and awe, he says. So our goal today is not to define what good love is. I don't know that I could do that. It's a really hard thing. I don't know that we can quite get get our hands all the way around it to define it, but we're going to do our best to describe what good love is like. That is to call attention to the way that it shines, the way that love shows itself. So as we look at the text here, what we're going to do in the rest of our time is draw out seven characteristics of good love. Seven, I know. It's not a typical three-point sermon. Seven sounds like a lot. Hope you packed a lunch. Uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll keep it relatively brief, okay? I know seven is a lot to process. I don't expect us to be able to mull over every part of these seven. But I thought this time, at least, it would be better for us to go wider instead of deeper, at least this time. Hopefully, these seven characteristics will help us get a fuller picture of good love so that we would know the love of God better and then know how to love each other better in the process. 
So that's where we're heading. Let me not dawdle any further. Seven characteristics, let's jump right in. First one, if you're a note taker, I'll give you the numbers. First one, good love is decided. Good love is decided. Verse one, the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. That is, love is commanded here. Hosea, go love. Our culture would tell us that something like this is ridiculous and virtually impossible. Yeah? You cannot command love. You just love who you love, right? We can't help it. We can't do anything about it. That is one of the most damaging ideas of our time. If we really believe that love just happens and nothing else, that's the way love is, it just happens, that leaves us with no decision, no agency, no responsibility even when it comes to love. Under that framework, it is no surprise then that we see relationships crumble as people fall, fall in and out of love. It is no surprise that we see people kind of drift off into isolation in their own homes away from their neighbors. It's, it's no surprise that we've kind of divided out little war camps where we, we have our shared opinions and we make war on each other over the internet. If there's no decision in love at all, then we really can't help it. You know, it's how I feel or don't feel and I gotta follow my heart. That's not good love. Good love, according to the Bible, contains an element of decision. Love is not a pit we fall into. It's a mountain we climb. That doesn't mean we can control everything, yes, but it, nor does it mean that love is all in our head as if it's kind of devoid of all emotions, sort of this kind of robotic movement. Feelings are to follow the will to walk in love. That is, I decide to love and my feelings will come along behind sooner or later. That's the reason, by the way, that Jesus is even able to give us the new command, he says, on the night before he died, the new command to love each other. He doesn't say, let's wait and see if you feel it. He doesn't say, let me set the mood for you and light a few candles. He says, as I have loved you, now you go and love each other. Love is decided. That's the first. Here's the second. Good love is directed. Good love is directed. Verse one again. The Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. The Lord is talking about a particular person here that Hosea is to go love. It's directed, that is, go love her. Go love this adulteress. Which tells us then that love is not just an aura. 
Like it's some sort of emanation, like a perfume that you put on and people around you can just smell it. We're not called to just be loving. Is that surprising? We're not called to just be loving. That is, to be loving to no one in particular. That's how some people fool themselves into thinking that they love more than they do. You know, I can think to myself, I'm a loving person, and that lets me off the hook of actually loving anyone else. The gauge of whether I'm a loving person is to look at who I am loving. Good love requires at least two parties. You know, when I say, or when any of us says, I love you, there's two ends to the word love, yes? I and you. Love must be directed to an object. There must be a recipient of love. There must be a you. And if it's not directed toward anyone, it's not love. That's why the scripture says things like, yes, we hear God is love, but immediately tells us who he loves. So we hear things like, God so loved the world, and even in particular that God has a special love for his children, that God has loved us as ones adopted into his family, even before creation, before there was any human on earth or anywhere else for that matter to love. God has still always loved because our God is triune. One God, always and only one God. There's only one God, but our one God is in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Three unique persons, which means from far before the creation of the world, the Father has eternally loved the Son, and vice versa. The Son has eternally loved the Spirit, and vice versa. The Spirit has eternally loved the Father, and vice versa. Love, then, is always directed. That's the second. Here's the third. Good love is initial. Good love is initial by which I mean it comes first. So uh, when, when I mark my own name, if I just make an initial, you know, for me, Nathan, I would just put the letter N, which means there are no letters that come before it. My initial is the first letter. In a similar way, there is nothing prior to this. There are no prerequisites to this love. Look again, verse 1. Go again, love a woman who's loved by another man and is an adulteress. Did you hear that she is loved by another man? She is an adulteress. This is not just something that she had been doing and now has turned over another leaf. You know, this is not just a part of her 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 past. This is her present. His wife is currently actively engaged in adultery. And yet the Lord says to Hosea, he doesn't say, wait till she gets her act together. You know, wait till she gets clean or sober or, or wait till she gets on the right track or, or apologize and means it. He just says, go love. 
And that love is to be initial. There's nothing that comes before it. It is too common for some folks to think of love as something that is not initial, but circular. So love is a mutually beneficial arrangement between the parties. You know, there's a circle of love. You give, you get. You get, you, get, you give. There's tit for tat, and, and, and on and on it goes. And it's true in some sense that when there is love on all sides, there is some mutual benefit that's good. It's good for us. But, listen, if we view love as circular and not initial, that means love has no beginning Which means if we wait for another person to justify our love, to be part of this circle, that in that sense, love will die before it's even born. Or if we view love as circular and there happens to be a break in the circle of love, you know, someone sins against us, hurts us, or maybe it's just an accident true accident, a break in love, if that love is circular, it's virtually impossible to restore the love unless there is some beginning to it. In our relationship with God as Christians, that is not circular love either. You know, of course, we do love God. We want to grow in our love for God. We're not Christians even if we, if we don't love Jesus in some sense. But our relationship to God always begins with his initial love. We've heard about this already in our service uh, right after the confession of sin, but I'll read it again just as a reminder in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While our sin was still ongoing, while our sin was still in progress, while our sin still had a hold on us and and defined us, while we did not love God at all, God did not wait for us to see if we'd be ready. He begins by putting his love upon us which here is expressed with Jesus coming to die for us. It's a picture of his initial love. This leads us now into the fourth one. We're making a good clip here. Good love is costly. Costly. Good love is costly. Hosea says in in verse 2, I bought her. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and an omer and a lekha of barley. He buys her with silver and barley. Now, this isn't a bride price or, or a dowry, whatever we call these things, because this woman's already Hosea's wife. So there's a bit of mystery as far as what's going on here. The text doesn't exactly tell us why it is that Hosea needs to buy his own wife. There have been a few uh, theories by theologians floated through the years. Some have suggested that maybe she accumulated some debts that now needed to be paid off. Uh, Some other people have suggested that this is 
perhaps part of her going rate uh, as, a, as a prostitute. And he's uh, buying her, I suppose, in that sense. Uh, my best guess is that uh, many have noticed that this amount that he gives to her is roughly the valuation of a slave. That is, somehow she had gotten herself into a position where she had, had fallen into slavery, and Hosea is now buying her back out of that. You know, whatever the reason is that he's paying this, love costs Hosea. Love comes with a price tag. We know uh, people say love is free, and that's true in some sense. It's free to the one who receives the love. But the price is paid by the one who gives the love. You know, here the cost for Hosea is not just out of his pocketbook. I mean, the money, the price, the, the physical price is the thing that's mentioned here, but we could make a fair guess about other things he might have paid. Hosea might have paid the price of pain. You know, it's going to hurt to continue to stay with a woman who's left you for other lovers. There's a price of a future here. It would have been easier for him and legal, according to Old Testament law, to, for him to divorce her and to move on and create a new future with a new family. And he'll even pay, pay the price, price of, of reputation here. You know, sometimes Christians look at the, the scene in Hosea and maybe romanticize it or over-sentimentalize it. You know, we, we look and we go, oh, you know, what a, what a strong picture of, of love Hosea has. How amazing, what a kind and patient man he must have been. You bet that's not what his neighbors thought. His neighbors probably watched Hosea go back to the woman who had abandoned him for other lovers and thought, that man's a blind fool. She's got him wrapped around her finger. He is weak. But Hosea paid that price because love is costly. That's the fourth. Here's the fifth. Good love is committed. This may be the one that's most familiar to us. Good love is committed. There's a sense in which they belong to each other. You can see it in verse 3. He says, you must dwell as mine for many days. Don't play the whore or belong to another man. So also will I be to you. That is, you are mine and I am yours. There's a commitment here. Now, I suppose I should be clear. Commitment and love are not the same thing. There can be commitment without love. A person could be committed to someone they despise. But there can be no love without a measure of commitment. We live in a society that tends to love possibility. What's next? What's possible? We tend to, to want to keep our options open in work, in cities, in housing, you know, just in case something better comes along, then I can follow that instead of this. And so we end up be, being averse to really committing to any one thing or any one person, this lack of commitment will kill love faster than a heart attack. 
You know, there's the, the old joke about commitment in a marriage, you know, people, people uh, chuckling that marriage is the old ball and chain. That marriage is like a prison that ties us down. We, we got to push against that idea. That, that is not a funny joke. It's not even true. You know, commitment's not like a ball, ball and chain in a marriage. It's to be like a ball and hitch. You know, there's the truck with the trailer. The ball and hitch is the thing that, that ties them together so that they can function together. And that's not just how marital love works. This is about any relationship that involves love. So, so in our relationship with God, throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, the major source of hope for the people that they would call on again and again and again is the fact that God is committed to his promises, that he's made vow in covenant to his people. They count on that commitment. Same in our families. There's a commitment there. There's something good about the fact that our families aren't chosen. They're inherited. You get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. Yeah? Well, sometimes we throw a fit. But we have to learn to stick with what we have to make the commitment to it work. And then in our churches, we don't just have attendees to church. It's not just that we come and go as we please. We are, we are members, the Bible says, of one another. We are one body through thick and thin. Love is to be committed that's the fifth. Here's the sixth. We're nearing the end now. Good love is extractive. Good love is extracted. Ex extractive. I know that's a tough word. I wrestled with what to even call this. This is the closest thing I can get to it. This is what I mean by it. Extractive is to, to cut a thing out, to carve it out, to remove a thing the way we might extract a dead tooth. Here, in verse 4, we see that the Lord is extracting or removing many things from Israel. Kings and prince, sacrifice and pillar, ephods and household idols, he says. There's a removal and extraction of all of these things as part of his love. So good love is not a mushy banana. Good love is not this, you know, spineless goop of Play-Doh that other people get to shape however we want because we're supposed to love them. You know, in therapy terms, something like that is called enabling. It's when someone thinks they're loving someone else by letting them do what they want, but that, that's actually hurting the person in the end. So, so we're not mushy bananas, but on the flip side, we're not wood chippers either. You know, I've heard some people say, I'm going to cut all the negative people out of my life. And that's fine to an extent, but if we really do that, eventually you're just going to end up all by yourself next to a pile of sawdust. If we're not mushy bananas or wood chippers, there's a, there's a wise space of extractive love between those two. 
that is, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are called to forgive sin, always. To forgive sin. And yet we also need to set boundaries of sin for other people. And to enforce consequences for violation of those boundaries. It's important that we recognize the extractive component, especially as part of the love of God. Because I have sat with many people over the years in tough seasons of life. Sometimes a person's in a season where it feels and maybe is like that the Lord is extracting a tooth, whatever that tooth might be, extracting something, and it hurts. And there can be a lot of reasons why the Lord would do this, so that's why it's important for us to talk through it. This is not one flat answer. But people in those situations sometimes start to wonder, you know, I'm going through all of this. Am I being punished? By God? Does God even love me? And it is very possible that both of those may be true at the same time. Yes, you may be punished, and yes, God does love you. Any parent knows that love and punishment are compatible. They necessarily go together. So even though this one's not easy, it's still good and important for us to remember that love is extractive. That's the sixth. I've done six of the seven characteristics. I've just got one more. So if you're tracking time, we're almost to the end. But let me just briefly say, if you've already forgotten the first six, that's okay. You know, I don't expect you to remember all these things. In fact, maybe it helps prove my point here at the end. There's not a particular uh, phrase or word here in the text that I can point to for this final characteristic, but as I pondered this chapter over the past week, I was just struck by something on the whole here, that the seventh characteristic I would say is good love is is inconceivable. Good love is inconceivable. That is, I can't quite conceive of it. I, 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 I can't quite wrap my mind all the way around it. Just like we might learn about a star, or look at a star, but I, I can't quite get all the way around it. You know, to mention six or seven characteristics about love almost feels like an insult to love, you know? It's only the tip of the iceberg of the love of God. His love is so vast, so unfathomable. Paul, even in Ephesians, calls the love of Christ the uh, love that surpasses knowledge. So, So I look at this love expressed in Hosea, and a part of me just thinks like, how? Not just how do I do it, although I wonder that too, but I, I, I can't quite get how this plays out. 
It's not just the bigness of love that makes it inconceivable to my small mind. It's, it's the, the holiness of it. The purity of a love like this. That I'm an unholy creature looking at a holy love, and that makes it in many ways beyond me. I'll end here with an a, a insightful piece from C.S. Lewis when he wrote the screw tape letters, which if you're familiar with are a sense of imaginary, imaginary letters written from one demon to another demon uh, talking about how to tempt a particular human being. And at one point, uh, the senior demon, screw tape begins to talk about the love of God. And this is what screw tape says. All his talk about love, that is, all of God's talk about love, all his talk about love must be a disguise for something else. He must have some real motive for creating them and taking so much trouble about them. What does he stand to make out of them? That's the insoluble question. And there lies the great task. We know that he can't really love. Nobody can. It doesn't make sense. If only we could find out what he is really up to. Screwtape is baffled by the love of God because he has no category for it. Screwtape can only look at it through his own selfish lens, which is not all that different from our own selfish lenses that we have on apart from God's spirit, which makes then love inconceivable. There's got to be some ulterior, ulterior motive. What, what good can he gain by loving? What good can he get out of loving? He does not see that love gives Good. The love of God may be inconceivable to us, but it is still true, and we praise Him for it. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, would you sink? these things now deep in us, in our minds, that we would know and understand better, and also in our hearts, that we would love better. We know that we cannot ever understand all of you or all of your love, but would you grow us just a little bit in this, that we would abide in the love of Jesus, and that we would grow in our love for one another. And we ask this in the name and love of Jesus, we pray. Amen.